If you have a Bible this morning, I'll invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to be in the second chapter of 1 Peter this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles and find that text, that would be super. So my opening question for you all uh, this morning, it's rhetorical, and that's this. Now what? Now what? It's a very important question for us because if we come to believe in Jesus as our Savior if we come to believe that Jesus paid it all as we like to sing, it is important that we ask ourselves the next question or the question, and that's, now what? Now what? You've heard the saying, um, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Do you think that's a good statement or not a good statement? True or false? I think it's kind of a trick question, right? Right? Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. In one sense, I think if you are that heavenly minded, I could preach that, you will be earthly good. Uh, The people that Peter's writing to need to be encouraged that their ultimate citizenship, their their lasting citizenship is in heaven. But it is possible, and we've seen this uh, like with the Thessalonian believers, it could happen with these, what do we call them? Petrinian believers, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right, but, but these believers, that, that they could be thinking only about their future citizenship, and in the meantime, we should just be passive, because it's all going to burn anyway, haven't you read Second Peter, kind of thing. So what should we do now? Jesus paid it all, now what? And our opening verses of chapter 2 help us to answer that question. We're not called to passivity. We're not called just to float because Jesus paid it all. We're actually called to live a certain active way, uh, engaged way uh, in, in the in-between times, uh, in the now times. So let's go ahead and read the opening verses, and I think you'll see what I mean. If you look with me there at the opening three verses of First Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto or into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we're going to focus on those verses this morning. I have five questions that I'm going to ask and answer because I think it might help you understand the verses better because we have to understand if we're going to apply, but I think they'll also help you to apply the verses and find motivation, okay? So it's not okay to say, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I've got fire insurance, Jesus paid it all, and now I can do whatever I want because I'm justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone anyway. No, because you're justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, It's time to act a certain way in the in-between time. And this is a challenge for you to do that. It's a challenge for you if you're a dad or a mom or a brother or a sister or a grandma or a grandpa or a friend or an enemy. It's what we're called to do as Christians up until the time when we see Christ and we're made like Him, we're called to action. Our salvation is very passive. Even in 1 Peter, it says, we're going to read it this morning in a little while, He's caused us to be born again. It's it's pure grace. 
He works, right? It's, it's all free to us because it cost him so much. But now we're actually called to do things. And I realize this could be super basic. I hope it's super basic. Because then you're going to say, I understand all that already, Pastor. Thank you. But I want to help you understand it better and hopefully be used by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit during our time together so that when you leave and go to work or so that when you leave and go to school or when you leave and go home or wherever it might be, your life would look different than when you came in this morning for the glory of Christ and for your flourishing and for your good and for our community. Sound like a plan? Okay, some of these questions are going to be super simple and super brief, but um, we're going to look at five of them. So the first question I'm going to ask and answer from our text is, how does the text work? How does this text work? What are the mechanics? And we might spend a little bit more time today on some mechanical issues than we would normally. Um, This isn't a Bible college. This is a church. Um, But Christians need to understand the Bible so they can apply the Bible. So how does the verse work or how do the verses work? Well, it looks like in our English translation that the command is in verse 1 and it's put away. So put away. That's a command in the translation I'm preaching from. But in the Greek New Testament, it's not a command. It's a participle. I won't say any more about that. But it's not a command. It carries the idea of a command, but it's getting its oomph. That's an important Christian word you need to know. Oomph. Okay? It gets its oomph. It gets its weightiness. It gets its power. It gets its drive from the actual command in the Greek New Testament. And that's in verse 2 where it says, Like newborn infants, here's our command. Long. Long for. And so I just want you to understand that that the, the, the primary, first and foremost emphasis, in a sense, I want to put verse 2 in front of verse 1 when it comes to priority, when it comes to oomph. Okay? The priority, first of all, is positive. Long for the pure milk of the Word. We're going to talk about what that means. That's the positive, and that also complements that participle that looks like a command, and I think rightfully so. Translators did a good job. Get rid of the bad stuff. But even theologically, it's important you do the right stuff first, and the getting rid of the bad stuff actually complements that. So I just wanted you to see that at first. The real command is in verse 2. Next question. What is expected? What is expected? What's expected to us? My opening question was, now what? And we see what's expected in verse 2 where it says toward the end, if you look there with me at those last four words, grow up into salvation. That's what's expected of Christians. Grow up into salvation. We've learned in this book that salvation is all of God, everything He's done. Chapter 1, verse 3, He has caused us to be born again according to His great mercy. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's gifted to us. Uh, It's given to us. It's mercifully bestowed upon us. It's all about receiving salvation. That's why we say grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Sometimes really fast. But then he's saying to the men and women he's writing to and younger people, grow up. It's time to grow up 
spiritually. It's time to grow up into salvation. Kind of like the Apostle Paul says, they have the same understanding. They just use different analogies and different explanations. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says, what? Any mind readers here? Work out your salvation. Some of you knew. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then he goes on to say, for it is God who is at work in you. But we're still called to action. God is the initiator. God is the savior. He works. But then we're called to do stuff. To work it out. To flesh it out. Here Peter uses a little bit different language. Same idea. Grow up. Grow up into salvation. You're positionally perfect. You're declared righteous. We had a whole conference talking about that. Okay, we're, we're credited with Christ's perfect obedience. It's given to us. So now God accepts us as if we're perfectly obedient. Not only that, Christ dies for our sins to get rid of our guilt. The inheritance is ours, protected in heaven, kept in heaven for us. It's all free. But then it's pat, positionally righteous in Christ. Pat, the call for you is to be practically righteous. Grow up. Grow up spiritually. I kind of like saying that, by the way. I just sound like, I, it just makes me feel like I, I'm channeling my inner fundamentalist. Grow up, right? In Jesus' name. <laughs> We're going to see this as logical. We're not to remain spiritual infants. We're not to remain only positionally perfect. We're to be growing up into salvation. Hopefully, by God's grace, having a, a you know a, a ever lessening gap between our profession and our practice, conform to the image of Christ, to borrow Pauline kind of language. It's a call for us to grow up. We're new creations. We're empowered by the Spirit. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were called to be holy earlier. This is another way of saying be holy, be different. We're called earlier to love other Christians. It's just part of growing up. Part of growing up. We can talk about how to do that, but for now, let's at least say that that's what, that's, that's what we're called to do. I, I love it that Peter thinks this way and Paul thinks this way and Jesus thinks this way. Uh, I love telling people salvation is free. See, I don't want to try to get you to behave by telling you you got to keep going or it might be, you know, trouble for you someday because you just didn't measure up to God's standard. Well, no one measures measures up to God's standard. I love to show you it's Christ, it's Him, it's Him. Rest in Him, trust in Him. Some people have literally said, if you tell people that, then they're going to behave badly and you can't control them. I don't think that's true. New creations. Born anew. Born from above. New nature. And then we call upon, and we're called upon as those kinds of people to grow up into salvation. Behavior modification does happen, but it's not to gain our inheritance. It's because we have it. Let's move on to the next question. How can I do this? How can I do this? 
There's a positive and there's a negative. We saw it with our opening question. There's a positive and a negative. Let's talk with, about the positive. It's the longing for Christ. Verse 2, like newborn infants. Like newborn... Here's the positive on how to grow up into salvation. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Great analogy, right? Unless you have a newborn infant and you didn't get much sleep last night. Sorry. A Christian... Now, remember, sometimes, uh, like in the book of Hebrews, and the Apostle Paul does it also, Christians are scolded because they should be eating meat, but they're only eating milk. It's a different context, a different setting. He's not doing that here. Here it's all positive. What I want you to do, Peter is saying with apostolic authority, is I want you as a Christian to long, to yearn, to desire with that amazingly strong force that just won't ever take no for an answer. I want you to have that insatiable, instinctive, natural, but here we're supernatural because we're born again by the Spirit, desire and craving, how else can I say it? For mother's milk. And we, Everyone who's been around little babies who've had it, we all could share stories. I got the microphone, sorry, I'll share mine. I just, I just think to myself about some of my kids when I would put my pinky in their mouth and you expect it to come out like this big, right? Or purple. Because they latch onto your pinky and it's like, whoa, this is crazy. And nothing will satisfy. They don't want any part of dad's pinky, right? You're just trying to trick them for a while. It's just built in desire. I need, I want for, and they don't understand, right? But they know that it's what they need to sustain them, to help them, to help them to grow and to help them to be healthy. And so there is this this passionate desire. So we can understand. It's a great, great image. Christians are commanded to have that kind of craving. I'll do anything. I need it now. I'm going to throw a fit if you don't give it to me. It's how we should be. I don't think our text goes there. We could go there and talk about, you know, you don't, you don't fill up on other stuff and junk food. That's why some translations, I think, talk about the unadulterated. Um, I think all those things are important to talk about. I just didn't prepare to talk about those things, so it's not in my notes. Um, I'll just, just say that. It's probably enough. There's one thing that baby wants, and it's learned to find satisfaction in that one thing. Pure mother's milk. And here we're called to have that kind of longing. And if you are thinking, what does he know about any of this stuff? He never had to go through it. You're totally right. Um, But I got to observe and I was impressed. Another technical thing we probably need to pay attention to so we can understand it better um, would be the interpretive challenge that comes from how we should translate one certain word. Listen to, listen to the translations and how they deal with verse 2. 
I think you'll find this fascinating. I think you'll find it helpful, but it is going to involve you a little bit of, of mind engagement. The New American Standard says, Long for the pure milk of the word. King James, desire the sincere milk of the word. NIV, crave pure spiritual milk. See what was missing? English Standard Version, the pure spiritual milk. See what was missing? Depending on your translation, some translations translate it, what we should be longing for like a baby, passionately desiring, should be spiritual milk. Other translations say, we should be longing like the baby, yearning for the spiritual milk of the Word. What what is he getting at? It's for good reason that translators don't know what to do sometimes and they put a little mark in the margin and there's a footnote and things like that. Again, this is in a Greek class, uh, but the Greek word that's, that's causing such a fuss... Logikos, logikos, sounds like logic, it's translated reasonable, fitting, kind of like logical, is the one that causes us some challenge. Um, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 does the same issue and same thing, it uses the same word, which is your spiritual worship, that's ESV, which is your spiritual worship. New King James, which is your reasonable service. Now, I I don't always like to pick the middle. Um, I like being decisive. But, But I understand why they're doing this. The context would be, it's about the Word. And we'll see that in a second. So I see why they supplied that word uh, and they, they, they added that word or they, they even translated it, the logikos word. But I also really am um, sympathetic and I like that reasonableness. The logikos. Long for the pure spiritual milk, the reasonable spiritual milk, because in our context, you've been born again. You've experienced a new birth. You're a spiritual babe. And the way you grow is you long for that spiritual milk. And that's reasonable. See, it's not reasonable for Christians to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I have no supernatural spiritual desires. That's not reasonable. So I want to at least, if your translation says word... New American Standard, King James, awesome, fine. I'm not going to argue against that, but I would probably add a little note about logikos. It's reasonable, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and following. This is reasonable. But it's also spiritual, for sure. It's not saying long for the the physical milk. It's, It's spiritual. So that's true as well. In the context before, if you want to just go ahead and look there, and I promise we're going to move on, but I want you to kind of appreciate what's going on here. In chapter 1, verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Oh, it's it's Word is what we should long for. That's what birthed us. It's what's going to sustain us. But then also look, if you keep reading in verse 24, no, in verse 25, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
So it's not word in general. It's word that is good news. It's gospel news. So here, let's circle the, not circle the wagons. That, that's not the idea. Let, let's, let's, let's circle back around. Long for, crave, as a Christian, new creature in Christ, the pure, spiritual, reasonable, this is a logical, milk of the gospel word. Not just word generically, because he's already explained what he means earlier. It's the good news word. It's the specific word about the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His benefits word. That's what we should be longing for. And you say, but that's what I believed in to be saved. That's right. That's what you believed in to be saved. And now you want to long for that very same reality. You long for Christ. And you long for understanding. And you long for comprehension. And the things of Christ, you long for Himself. And that's how you grow spiritually. I read one commentator, he said, all Christians should be addicted to the Bible. And I liked it enough to tweet it. And that's really saying a lot for me. I'm just being sarcastic. I like the quote. I think it's true. All Christians should be addicted to the Bible. But actually, in context, I'm going to push it and say, I think all Christians should be addicted to Christ. It's the word that he already defined as the good news word. It's the gospel word. I want you as a Christian, if you're going to grow spiritually into salvation, you have this insatiable desire for Christ and the things of Christ. You long for Christ. That's the gospel word. Again, chapter 1, verse 25, 23, 25. We're going to get there in just a little while, but in verse 3, I think it complements this when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We've tasted that the Lord is good, and I don't want to leave the Lord. I just want more of the Lord. He's my refuge. He's my strength. So let's be addicted to the Bible, but actually let's be addicted to Christ. I can't get enough. I need more craving, desire. That's what it's about. That's what we do. I can move on, or do I need to re- restate it a different way? Let's move on. Word in First Peter is tied to gospel, Christ, not just general Bible. Oh, I love my Bible so much. I do love my Bible. I love Bibles. Can't get enough Bible. I love Bibles. I had one Bible that was so torn and tattered and, you know, probably this is sin and I'm confessing sin. I was proud of that Bible, you know. It wasn't that I, like, drug it on the ground to look more spiritual. I actually read I love that Bible to the point where I had it rebound. I had it rebound in pigskin too, just because I'm a new covenant Christian and I like bacon. <laughs> I wondered if it was gonna, the Old Testament was going to catch on fire, right? Because the Jews wouldn't go for that in light of Leviticus chapter 11. We should love the word. That's Psalm 119. Psalm 19, there is that desire, but I think what we need to see in 1 Peter is it's actually a craving for the living word, Christ. It's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul says he was longing to preach the gospel to the Christians who were in Rome. 
chapter 1, chapter 16, so that they could grow spiritually. He was going to preach Christ to them. Now there's the negative side. Here's the negative. It says in verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And he uses the image, that participle that feels like a command of taking off something dirty. And we'll come back to that. We're going to take off a dirty piece of clothing. And so we're supposed to see our our malice or our evil desires or our desire to hate or hateful feelings uh, as dirty clothes. Our deception, in contrast to honesty and truthfulness, like dirty clothes. Our hypocrisy or being fake or pretending or acting untruthfully like dirty clothes, our envy or ill will toward other people because of some advantage we think they have or they do have, that's to be taken off like dirty clothes. Slander, which is speaking evil against someone in light of James chapter 4. Uh, slander, that take, get rid of that like dirty clothes. The contrast is in chapter 1, verse 22. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that's gospel, for a sincere brotherly love. Oh, sincere brotherly love, not fake, hypocritical brotherly love. That's the contrast. Love one another earnestly. Ah, see, that's positive. It's not like envy. It's not like hypocrisy. It's not like deception. It's not like slander. It's not like malice. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Or chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Be holy, for I am holy. He's taking all of these bad things that we do toward each other in our community, in our church, in our relationships, and He's saying those are to be thrown off like dirty clothes. So you're longing for Christ and the things of Christ. Oh, by the way, the one who loved his father and loved his brother uh, perfectly neighbor perfectly, so we were longing to be like him. And so then the negative is, we're tearing off, figuratively speaking, this is a family sermon, we're tearing off the bad, the negative, the things that are hurtful, the things that are destructive amidst our desire to love one another. And so it's a great image, it's a great picture. As you're feeding on Christ and the things of Christ and longing for those things, yes, indeed, you should also be saying, I hate my hate and my deception and I fake love other Christians and I fake do this and I say bad things even though they're not true or they are true. The image is a graphic image, by the way. Dirty, soiled, nasty I tried to think of the grossest thing I could think of. And I probably could think of more, but I don't want, you know, I want you to have lunch eventually. But I remember sitting on an airplane. Some of you are, there's some people in this room on the same plane. I'm sitting, but I'm in my row by my, uh, with two other people, strangers. And the person, a guy behind us, young guy, maybe 20, 25, I don't know. Projectile vomits. Uh-huh. And it's the, you know, it's, the, it's, it's, it's that kind. Right? I shouldn't have done that in a sermon, right? And you can smell it, and it's that rank, sour, nasty, and I'm, I'm the guy that's going, whoop! Right? My arm, my shirt, you know, got to do something. And then you've got to figure out if it's on you, right? 
it was it was so terrible. But I didn't have any on me, so that was good. But if I would have, I would have torn my clothes off, right? I mean, I couldn't have got, if it was on my jacket, I couldn't have got my jacket off fast enough. It was like, oh, this is so disgusting. I can't believe this. Hoop, 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 right? It's the image. It's the image. To, to, to so love Christ and to see Him for His goodness and all that He's done for us and all that He's given to us freely and all of the great inheritance that is ours in Christ. And those things are ours right away at the beginning of our Christian experience, but we're called to long for and comprehension, taking in. Um, um, you get the idea. That's the positive. And the negative is... You can't get that stuff off fast enough. It is so grotesque and so nasty, you want to get rid of it. Sounds like a lot of work. Doesn't sound like let go and let God is the Christian life. Because it's not. I like to say, your salvation involved Zero perspiration on your behalf, on your part. But growing up into salvation definitely involves some perspiration as far as engagement, effort, not to be saved, but because you are saved. And if you're not doing this, the call in your life is grow up. Grow up into salvation. See those things for what they are and put them off, to borrow Paul's imagery, as you are putting on Christ. I, what, what a great prayer. God, help me to see my sinful living as, as, as gross as putrid throw-up is. That's a good prayer. throw up, puke, vomiting, tossing cookies. What else? Up chuck. I have five synonyms. That's probably enough. Some of you have other ones. <laughs> Again, this is a PG show. Just stop. No, just kidding. To be, God, help us to be grossed out by what is gross. Because we belong to Christ. The judge is our dad. We want to honor the judge, the judge of all the earth. We learned about that earlier in First Peter. Next question, I've already answered, but I'll pose it so we don't get confused by numbering. Number four, how should this be done? How should this be done? And what I'm getting at is make sure you understand it's the negative and the positive. Don't become a moralist and only do the negative and become self-righteous. That's why I took the time to say, here's the imperative and here's the participle. Make sure you're thinking in terms of both are important. In fact, the priority is actually the desire for Christ 
and that fuels the other one. But let's move on to number five and wrap things up for this morning because you're all craving lunch now. (laughs) See, earlier I was like, this insatiable desire, hunger, and you're thinking, oh man, I can't wait to go. Vomitous, gross, throw up. Oh, I think I'm going to fast today. (laughs) We're going to come full circle again, by the way. Um, I'm going to try to induce your appetite one more time. Number five, what is the rationale behind this? What's the logic behind this? What's the rationale? We've kind of already talked about it, but we're going to see. Don't be stagnant. Jesus isn't only fire insurance, and now you're just passive. There's a rationale behind acting and being active. How about verse three? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And and you could really put the if, but I doubt it's true can carry that idea in certain contexts. Or it's if, and you know what? This is reasonable because I'm writing to a bunch of people who profess faith in Christ. I tend to take it more that way. This other thing could be true, but it's the exception. He's writing to professing Christians like you. And he's saying, if, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, and, and you all would say that you have if you're a Christian, he's taken my sin away as far as the east is from the west. It's all come to me freely and it's mercifully and it's wonderful and it's an inheritance kept for me in heaven till the last day. Oh, I've tasted that the Lord is good. If you've tasted that the Lord Lord is good, then have that desire for the Lord. It's not like we say, oh, that was the best thing I've ever tasted in my whole life. Mm." We just got one of those Traeger grills. See, I told you I'd bring it full circle church member knows somebody who knows somebody and, you know, hooked us up. So we got one of those things. I was watching an infomercial and saw it, and I thought, that is amazing. I could even grill. Now, I realize all you real barbecue smokers just thought less of me because I'm cheating, but that's just you being self-righteous. Just keep it to yourself. (laughs) I'm never going to be as good as you guys are, so I'm just going to be a faker, and you can think less of me, okay? Second-class Christian. I know how prideful some of you smokers are, chain smokers. So, <laughs> so, so the other night, like the third time using it, three chickens on there, and then later a, um, a pork loin covered in this sauce that we made with Greek yogurt and rosemary and some special kind of seasoning rub, and I don't remember, honey, I don't know what else was on there, and brought those chickens in, brought that pork loin in, and my family stood up and called me blessed. I was like the Proverbs 32 man, okay? It was awesome. I felt like somebody. I felt like some of you chain smoker guys. All of that to say. No one sitting around our table, we are celebrating Allie's birthday, no one said, Mmm, best chicken ever. Lots of them said that. But none of them followed that by, I don't want any more. Nobody did. Everybody filled up their plates with too much. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, and if you read chapter 1, you see that the Lord is good. All of the amazing things He's done for us in Christ. Indeed, the Lord is good. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, 
Desire more. Long for more. And get rid of those things that just get in the way of the longing for more. I love it that he quotes the psalm, by the way. Psalm 34, 8. You could write it in your margin. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Ha ha! Refuge. That's salvation talk. Blessed is the one who tastes for salvation. It's a parallel. It's meant to be interpreted that way. If you've tasted the Lord for His saving benefits and powers, why in the world would you want to not be sanctified? Would you not want to be growing into salvation? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So here's what I promise to do in my little world, in my little life as your pastor. I will do my very, very best with God's help to keep holding forth Christ, proclaiming Christ so you can see again and again and again that He is good, that you might feed on Him, if you will. And when appropriate and when possible, I'll remind you of those things that are contrary, and I will say, tear those things off like a vile piece of clothing. And then what you can do on your own is you can do your own devotions and your own praying and your own fellowshipping and your own living this loving other people uh, in in a Christ-honoring way out on your own. It's not either or, it's both and. I was reminded of that old ad, I think it was in the late 80s. Milk. Period. It does a body good. Yeah. Milk. Period. It does the body good. This is how we're holy. This is how we love one another. This is how we grow spiritually as we're waiting for the new Jerusalem. God help us. God help us. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the glorious riches that are ours in Christ that cannot be taken away from us. May that cause us to only long for Christ all the more and to live lives that are pleasing to Him and and draw attention to His goodness for Your honor and for Your glory and for our good and for the good of our community. In Jesus' name, amen.